today's guest on the podcast, two very amazing women, Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark. They are the co-founders of Thrive Incorporated. Together, they've spent 20 years helping men, women, and couples and teams resolve difficult conflicts and create strong, thriving relationships. This might appear to be more of a marriage counseling session for me. (laughs) It totally is not. I tell a lot of stories, though. But they are awesome. They have a new book out called The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. It's available on Amazon. And they have a podcast, The Beauty of Conflict. And they have a new course that's coming out October 23rd called Relationship Mojo. So I'm going to post the links up to that. But you're going to love this dialogue about how conflict in your relationship might actually be the romance you've been looking for. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode with Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. I am very excited about my guests, plural, today. Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark are here. Hi. Hey, this is Chris Marie. Excited to be here. Yes, and Susan. I am as well. (laughs) Awesome. Are we going to crawl all over each other like in a conference call? Susan here, (laughs) Meredith here. (laughs) I hope not. That's usually how we start, just so people can hear our voices, but I think they get used to it after a while. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, I'm excited to speak with you. Your new book, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. So, wow. The Beauty (laughs) of Conflict. Is that an oxymoron a little bit? <laughs> well, well uh, you know, this is Susan. We didn't call it the joy or the ease or the comfort of conflict. We right. did intentionally call it the beauty of conflict because beauty has depth. You know, it's not just the good, it's the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. But when you put that together, that actually is what makes for beautiful. So we really did want to um, kind of get people, give people a different way of thinking about conflict because there is so much possibility there. And, you know, for me, I grew up thinking relationships, a good relationship is one where everything is smooth. And I, you know, thought, I, you know, conflict, very, very bad. And I really, when I met Susan and we started to, I kept wanting work because we're romantic partners and we're work partners. And I kept wanting to leave. Like we get into conflict and I'd be like, this is too much. We're over. We're over. <laughs> and she, she'd be like, no, I want to hear your opinion. And I was, even though she had a, you know, was kind of yelling at me about it. <laughs> I started to believe it and then start to sh- started to share it. And lo and behold, when we hung in, we would wind up coming up with solutions that weren't originally my idea or her idea, but something new would emerge. And it really did become beautiful and fulfilling because all of a sudden now my voice mattered where growing up, I grew up with an army colonel where it just wasn't safe to speak up. Right. And all of a sudden things were different and I felt so much more alive. Now it's not comfortable doing that, but it really made, 
really had a significant impact on how I view about my view of conflict. Now, Susan, did you grow up? Okay, Chris Marie, you said you didn't have much conflict, but Susan, no, no, did you grow grow up? up Sorry, Meredith. I grew up with a lot of conflict. Okay. My dad was a, a yeller okay. and violent at times. So I realized I spent 10,000 hours, Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, um, <laughs> expert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Becoming an expert in conflict avoidance. Cause oh, he, it, every night at dinner was like running the gauntlet, hoping he wouldn't explode. So I learned a lot about like, well, how to change the subject, ask a question, rephrase what my sister was saying. So he wouldn't get upset about it. <laughs> got it. Got it. Yeah. If it's not romance and it's conflict that is the key to relationships staying together, like, wow, you just like blew a whole theory there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, just to be clear, you know, it is the romance part that gets you engaged in this whole project. And frankly, you know, if we, if you didn't have that romance and some of that there, you definitely wouldn't probably even sign up for this because relationships are not, it's not simple, you know, to stay in with somebody because we both want to feel connected, but we want to be our own unique individual. There's a lot of tension in that and try to put two people together in that. It can be really challenging. So the romance is what gets us in there. But frankly, the romance is usually a relationship with your own imagination because, you know, the minute you fall in love, it's mostly with what you think this person's going to be and you don't know anything. And so that whole process of getting to know the other person, as well as getting to know yourself even better, that's where tension comes up and it does lead to conflict. But that conflict is the juice and the, and the resource that you'll have for keeping the relationship going. And if you opt out of that, then you, you kind of keep kind of floating back to romance, but you actually never get that sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that you would get if you lean into the conflict. So do you think conflict is a positive sign then versus maybe if you're kind of new in a relationship and there seems to be a lot of it, looking at it as a red flag, like is conflict a red flag or is it something to, to really just kind of say duly noted and let's embrace this? Well, I mean, any two people getting together, you know, some people say, oh, it's best if you're compatible in relationship, but really that compatibility only goes so far. You're definitely going to wind up with differences. You're two different human beings and being able to bridge that gap, learning how to bridge that gap was a skill. This is Chris Marie that I didn't have. I just thought, okay, it's your way. I'll give up. We'll just do everything your way. And growing up, I just felt like I didn't have a voice. My, my opinion didn't matter. My feelings didn't matter. What I wanted didn't matter. So coming into an adult relationship, it started to feel like I made everything perfect. And I was like, why is, why am I still so miserable? Like, is this all there is? So learning how to navigate those differences is a life skill that, Quite frankly, most of us weren't trained in. We had, like me, poor role models. And they you don't go to school and they give you relationship 101 or conflict 101. They should. So it, I know, <laughs> they really should. And, um, so it's, it's a skill that I think people can develop and to know that you're not broken if there's conflict in a relationship. If you, as long as you can find some ways to navigate it, you're going to be a lot happier and your relationship has a lot more staying power. It's more of a marathon versus a sprint. I think it's really interesting, Chris Chris Marie, where you noted kind of you didn't have a voice as a kid. And I, too, did not 
have a voice as a kid. I think my parents would disagree, but um, it's funny. <laughs> like you look at what you're doing now, what I'm doing, we're like, blah, 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 voice, voice, voice. We want to talk and tell. And, and I think it's so funny because I, I just made that connection a couple, actually a couple of months ago, really, when I started, I mean, I started blogging like 10 years ago and I didn't realize that that was kind of where the root came from, that I wanted to be heard. <laughs> <laughs> Although I never managed to hold back in my relationship. So I've, I've been heard <laughs> for a while. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, the kind of joint desire um, kind of coming together as a couple. And there has to obviously be some desire and being on the same page with regard to how we're going to handle conflict. How do you advise your, your clients or the audiences you speak to kind of how to meet in the middle and, and start with the same goal in mind, I guess. Well, I mean, probably the biggest thing is one, you know, we talk about this, the, the two main ingredients to a healthy, thriving relationship are one, the willingness to be vulnerable, to show up and risk being exposing your own emotions, who you are, you know, kind of revealing, really revealing yourself. And that means the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful, which is not always simple. So that, that willingness to be vulnerable is critical. And the other is curiosity, you know, because we are a culture built around right, wrong, and trying to get the right answer, trying to do it the right way. But if you do that in relationship, you know, you could be right or you could be relational. You don't get to be both. <laughs> and curiosity really gives you a chance to, oh, wait a minute, you think very differently than me. And I need to be interested in how come what what's going on over there is so different and why it's so important to you. And if I can keep those two things, my own, my own vulnerability and curiosity, that will be the starting point and the most critical point to conflict. Cause without them, conflict is just a fight. And that's actually not even really conflict. That's just a fight. Mm. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, and I think what's important in that vulnerability is using I statements. So this is the part that was a real learning curve for me to talk about myself. Like I'm uncomfortable or I don't think you're listening to me. Whatever it is, I'm saying that is that even though I'm talking about what's happening over there with Susan, I'm talking about what I'm thinking. So I think you're not listening to me. And I'm really sad or I feel really frustrated. I don't know how to get through to you. That's um, that's that vulnerability to be able to reveal that. And I was such a, and I still can be like, Susan, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you need to listen to me versus wait a minute. I don't think you're listening. And so I'm, I'm upset over here. Very different point of view into well, that. True. Well, yeah. even the willingness to say right now, I just want to control you. I mean, that's an incredibly <laughs> vulnerable statement, but it makes all the difference oh or I'm gosh. really defensive. Yeah. And when I used to do a lot of work with couples, what would happen is, you know, we both get defensive, but that is a very different, that is not the same as saying I'm defensive. As soon as I bring that universal we in there, I've actually taken the vulnerability part out of it because the, you know, it's like, okay, if we both say we're defensive, then it's okay, but I'm not going to say it alone. But right. if you, you know, it makes all the difference when I, I don't know whether you're defensive or not. I know I've gotten there or I know I'm trying to control you. And so I'm just going to own up to it. And it that's, you know, that as soon as you own up to what is happening, it creates space for something else to occur. When I don't say it, then I just stay stuck. And it's like the energy doesn't move. Right. I literally just wrote down, I just want to control you because <laughs> I need to remember that one because essentially 
that's what that's my go-to really i'm just trying to control my husband <laughs> if i just admit that he'll be like yeah you are <laughs> well it does shift the thing and most of us that's what we're up to a lot of the time and we say control is a bad thing but control is just a natural response to when we feel helpless or out of control and if we could just recognize it as that and own it it it's a whole different ball game you know then you kind of have a chance to make a different choice mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we had, this is a kind of stupid, but I bought a 24-pack of water. Uh, my parents are coming to visit tomorrow. My mom only drinks bottled water. Um, oh. it's, and so I bought this 24-pack of water. I brought it into the house. My husband apparently carried it down to the basement. That irritated me because I need it where it was, you know. He was trying <laughs> to be helpful. And so this morning, I was like, hey, do you mind going to get that water and bringing it back up? Because, and I could have just left it, but I was like, because you have to go take everything to the basement. Why does everything have to go to the basement? Why can't we just keep things on the main floor where we need it? You know, I just went off and he came over and he put his hands on my shoulder and he said, I will do it. Stop trying to control me. (laughs) But it's funny, like in that example, how we can just take it, you know, run with it, right? I mean, I could have just said, hey, babe, can you go get the water? And it would have been done. But in that moment, I mean, the conflict, it was good. But how do we maybe not add unnecessary conflict by our own words? (laughs) Well, I think sometimes that happens when things kind of build up. You have some buildup of resentments, and so then they start squirting out. And a lot of times couples don't feel like those little resentments add up. So sometimes you just need to actually ask for some time to vent. Like, I am really frustrated. These are the things that aren't working. You, you know, you always take things down to the basement when I don't want them to. <laughs> or Susan, she takes this morning, we were going for a walk and she was too slow. I think I'm going to hear something. <laughs> <laughs> too slow unlocking the car. So I'm out there in the rain with the dogs and I'm like, you know, but it's, it's, if you have the ability to kind of not be always so perfect with each other, like not have to frame things so well and have the ability to recover or just say, you know what, I'm frustrated right now. And I'm just venting, you know, that can go a long way towards taking more responsibility for what you are saying, as opposed for it coming out kind of sideways. Does that make sense, Meredith? Yeah. yeah. It's about just like owning your stuff, like owning, owning how you feel and not apologizing and and not acting out on it. Just saying like, I'm about to tell you something. This is how I feel. Can we discuss it is, is a great precursor in my relationship just to be like, I'm about to lose my mind. So (laughs) here it comes, you know, and he's like, okay, here comes the unreasonable Meredith. I'm ready. Yeah, exactly. It's like giving warning. Yes. And I just want you to listen. And we even have a, in the book, we talk about actually dealing with anger and we talk about a tool called the Vesuvius which is because uh, so many people, me included, had anger Velcroed to violence. So anytime I got mad, I got threatened, or if Susan got mad, I'd feel threatened. And really, anger is that rising up of energy that lets you know something's wrong. It's actually healthy. And a lot of women do, are not comfortable with their own anger. And we're told to be nice and polite. 
And so um, separating those and giving a space with some boundaries, like it's two minutes, I'm not going to hurt you or me or any property or whatever. I might pound the bed or whatever it is, but nothing's going to be destroyed. And I just want time to express how upset I am, whether it's about you or just my day or what's going on. And a lot of that, that is a very vulnerable, it was a very vulnerable move for me to do. But once I started doing that, I felt more empowered, like, oh, anger is a good thing. And also I felt so seen and heard by Susan in my expression of my anger that I actually felt closer to her in uh, when I was willing to, as I'm willing to share that with her. Yeah, I actually saw a post on Facebook last night right before bed. I wish I knew where I saw it, but it said something about anger and how it, a lot of us are carrying it around because we weren't heard as children. And I thought, oh, that, that explains a lot. Here we go again, childhood. But yeah, that's so, it's so true. I think I, I do this a lot in our relationship with my husband, but to just realize the power of a few words previewing what you're about to say, I mean, it's so easy. And I think, go ahead, Susan. Well, you know, I just, I want to come back. Yes, a lot of this all comes from childhood, but a lot of this also comes from a belief that relationships are about compromise. And we really actually believe that is one of the biggest myths that needs to be busted. I mean, there may be a time and a place for compromise, but frankly, really compromise usually means you give up a part of yourself. And we talk about this idea of relationship math, that one whole person times another whole one whole person times one whole person equals a whole relationship. Now, if I only show up halfway and I I'm always giving in, that's one half times the other person may show up fully. That's one still equals a half. And it gets worse when each of you only show up halfway because then you only get to a quarter. And so just even the math alone starts to show that you have to take that risk to show up fully. So if you're always compromising, eventually that's going to either lead to an explosion or an implosion and it leads to resentment. And those are the things that end up creating the most damage to a relationship long term. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. And then to- topple off just or top it off with general um, people pleasing tendencies like yes. with, with your neighbors, with your school, with your kids, and then you're compromising in your marriage or your relationship oh. and you're people pleasing everyone around you. Like you've got point nothing percent left. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's when people get sick or develop chronic pain or because they're not really expressing themselves fully in their lives or at least, and we say, just have one person and we're hoping it's your primary person, but one person where you can say what you need to say and be, you know, your messy self because as humans, we are messy. You look at your kids, they're fully themselves. They're fully messy. <laughs> That's so true. That's interesting. You brought up chronic pain. I know none of us are doctors or and we don't play one on TV, but you've probably worked with enough people to see, you know, you, you get someone, com- someone comes to you and they do have this chronic pain. And then you kind of dig into their personality a little more and realize that that's, there's a lot of that going on, a lot of compromise of total self. Oh, absolutely. Oh, sure. I mean, Dr. Sarno is, is an MD. He plays one in, in books. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Sarno. Yeah. Yeah. And I was a big chronic pain sufferer until, and I, because I'm a people pleaser, a perfectionist, and in relationship, I want to make sure everything's smooth. And when I recognized, wait a minute, it's okay for me to get angry and find my voice, uh, my pain shifted dramatically. 
So mm-hmm. it's it's a really um, it's an epidemic in our society that we try to be nice and polite and hold ourselves back, and that's just all that energy that's got to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was um, I had chronic neck pain when I was an attorney, chronic, and mm-hmm. when I I don't have it anymore, and I thought, gosh, well, it was probably because I was at my desk all the time, but I am sitting in front of a computer far more hours than I used to, <laughs> so I'm like, it has to be that lawyer thing. <laughs> it does. Yes. You, you weren't liking the lawyer thing for yes. sure. You're, you know. <laughs> All right. So how do you, what if you're in a relationship and let's say marriage here and you've been together 15 years and you think, eh, I think I just married the wrong person. <laughs> it's so common to, I get coaching clients that think, oh, I just married the wrong person. And it's, you know what, you can go find somebody new and uh, certain we get far enough down the road, you're going to find out, oh, I think I married the wrong person. (laughs) No matter where you go, there you are. And it really is so easy to blame the other person. But even um, Susan and I went on a yoga retreat. This is, and I am not a vacationer. And about, I don't know, six or eight years into our relationship, she finally convinces me to go on this yoga retreat. And we get into this beautiful open air palapa. We put down the bags and I say, you know, I'm not really happy in this relationship. I could not believe that this was <laughs> going to tell me that. I was like, oh, no. I go. <laughs> and Susan's like, wait a minute. We just got here. Like, I do not want to ruin our vacation. So she said, how about we do? And we talk how about, about we use these tools. Yeah. We use without a car. <laughs> So she, uh, we did a, a what we call a five-five-five, which is uh, a boundary communication tool where one person has five minutes to share what's going on about a topic, and the other person just listens, not reacting, just kind of letting it soak in. And then you switch, and the other person has the next five minutes, and then the third five minutes you have a dialogue. So it's you know it's going to end. So I always worry about being interrupted, so that's why I like the five-five-five. And Susan doesn't want it to be a five-five-forty-five, so she likes containment. <laughs> So she said, how about we do one of those in the morning? And if you want in in the evening and the rest of the time, we go and enjoy our yoga retreat. So I was game. And as we did that 555 on a regular basis, I began to realize I was blaming Susan. You're not this. It's not, you know, I had all these reasons why she was the problem. And over the course of that week, I really discovered it was me. I wasn't speaking up. I wasn't doing anything fun for me. I wasn't involved. Now I'm in acting and hip hop dancing and you know, speaking, all these things that I really love. And, but I wouldn't have, it was so easy to, to make it seem it was really about our incompatibility and how she was the problem versus I wasn't taking care of my own needs and, and moving forward on my own behalf. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. I mean, a lot of it I've seen too, is when you just make the other person your entire world, you know, you're getting your self-worth from them. You have no hobbies and then throw in a couple of kids and a job you hate. I mean, it's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, a recipe for disaster. It is, you know, uh, and that's when you think you're doing everything perfectly, and you're like, "Why am I so miserable?" And it's you're miserable because you're focused on pleasing everybody else, and you're not listening to the inside. Yes, exactly. And then when you realize that, then the question becomes, and maybe Susan, you could help with this one. um, Well, who am I, (laughs) and what do I want? Like, how do you get get to that inquiry? Get the answer. Well, one, I don't, I, we, we talk in the book a lot about this process that, you know, we refer to as boundarying and, you know, boundarying really, I think in culture, it's gotten a little messed up because it, it becomes a lot more defensive about saying, telling people what they can and can't do. We actually think boundarying is about 
the expression of what I want, what I like, what I don't like, what I want more of, what I want less of. And it's all about me bringing myself forward, not just a mental process, but what do I, what do I enjoy feeling? What do I, you know, all of that to breathe, to embody it and to, to express it out in the world. And that boundarying process is what gives you the opportunity to start to find out more about who you are and what you want. And when you do that in relationship to another person, which is really what a 555 can be about, that's really what Chris Marie was doing over those days. And I was doing the same thing. If I didn't just get defensive, we had the opportunity to explore our, ourselves and begin to really listen to each other and discover what might be possible. So I, I do think that's the critical piece. It's not mm-hmm. trying to figure out who I am because that's a, well, that's a trick question. Well, that's like it's, a question you know, it's very yeah, up in our heads versus yeah. who I am in this moment. You know. Yeah. Well, and, what if you have someone who wants to do a five thirty second five? Like you got a, <laughs> your your partner isn't a talker and they don't talk about feelings. Like, is this a good exercise to kind of bridge that gap? Te- teach them not teach them, but allow them the space, I suppose, to learn to to express like what if you've got a quiet partner <laughs> but there's two things one 555 does not mean that you have to talk for 5 minutes okay there are a lot of things like sometimes it's nice just to be silent and to breathe and to know that I'm I'm not going to be interrupted if I'm not talking or maybe a 555 is uh, so you can vary it you could get up and move instead of um taking your five minutes to talk. So it does not mean it has to be five, 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 but somehow being in your own expression of yourself is important. And we have had couples do the two, 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 or the (laughs) 30 seconds is probably a bit brief. I I try to work on getting a little further along than that. Um, But, and sometimes what we found helps a couple is if they do something else first, like maybe they do what we, we love around here. It's like a dance break. Maybe they listen to a piece of music or, um, you know, something that, and that gets them into their body and then do the five, 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 because there's actually more resource then. And so often people think of it as just a talking exercise and it doesn't have to be. You can do it while you're both taking a walk, which may feel more yeah. like generative in that mode. It sounds like something you could almost implement at dinner time with the kids too. Like I, I could see having space for that we often do high low like what was your high for the day low for the day it was from that movie story of us from 20 years ago and my son he's a bit of a crab like I am and he's like I have no highs ever you know it's all lows and so that high lows hasn't been going very well but I wonder is there a way to do like a group 555 almost where where everyone kind of gets their space to discuss something like would that work with kids Oh, you know, I, I used to do a lot of work, uh, work with, with kids and families, and that would be a perfect thing. You know, I've never thought of it like that. I mean, I probably have suggested it in family, in family meetings, you know, and, and it would probably, and the nice thing about that is you can have different people in the, at the table hold, you know, really time it. Cause we actually do believe timing helps. You get a prompt and it keeps people engaged. And especially with kids. I mean, I used to do it with kids with the Vesuvius, like, cause often kids need to express their energy and parents are afraid of expressing their anger around their kids, but the kids love it when they see that it's okay. So I used to do that all the time with that, you know, okay, 
the Vesuvius piece where they'd get a minute or two minutes to mm -hmm. just have a tantrum or make sound <laughs> or so it would be that would be the same idea. You could do it in different ways. Yeah. Three, three, three around the table. Three, yeah. Three, three, three. If there's I like more. that. I like yeah. that. I'm going to, yeah, figure out how that would work. All <laughs> right. So what about the nagging small conflicts, like the carrying of the constant water to the basement, whatever, um, you know, division of duties in the household, the things that just wear and tear over time and then blow up. How do you, how are you pre um, proactive to kind of hedge off those conflicts before they come? Well, one of the things that we you know, talk about when we're working with couples and things like that is to look at what are those reoccurring issues that come up. And then instead of, because usually what happens is they get addressed as just the reoccurring issues. So you, like your example of the water, the water goes downstairs and, and I know that water, it goes back and forth about whether the water went downstairs or not, which is really <laughs> sort of a, a not really the issue. So what we usually encourage people to do is look at what are their reoccurring issues, then really begin to tie those issues to what is that about value-wise? Like one of them for us is around money. And Chris Marie will often say to me, you're not saving enough. We're spending too much. We're, you know, and I can just feel like, oh my God, I just want to argue with her. Like, forget it. I'm not spending too much. And why are you on me about, you know, right. If I sort of say to her, look, I want to understand why the saving piece for you are, is so important. Like help me understand what's driving that. So when I really started to look at some of her core values, which was this sense of security and safety, she's had family members that have had health issues and she worries if we don't have enough money. You know, when I really started to explore why that was important to her, it was a very different. And even she would say to me, why don't you care about saving? And I was like, I had cancer four times and never thought I was going to live. I, I don't think saving is the end and be all for yeah. successful life. But when we actually started to have what drove us around that money issue, very different. And I could then say, OK, well, it's I don't have that same security it, value you have, but I do have one around freedom and I could see how money, we started to look at the whole issue totally different. So I usually encourage people look at your reoccurring values, issues, issues and then see how do they tie into other more deeper values that you have and have that conversation because that'll help you when it, you know, comes back up again. Cause it's usually, you're right. I mean, it's never about the, it's not about the water yeah. down the stairs. I mean, it's yeah. about the fact that my husband needs in, external order to feel internally ordered. And so when he sees stuff everywhere, it makes him feel like he's out of control. And for me, when I see all my stuff laid out, I feel safe because I'm like, I can get it. It's all here. You know, yes. he, he took the batteries to the basement too. The oh. batteries <laughs> went to the basement three months ago and I brought them back up did not tell him, put them in the laundry room because, you know, you got kids, you need batteries all the time. I don't want to go downstairs. I just want to go to the laundry room. And okay. so he comes up, I hear him down in the basement on Sunday. He's just rustling around down there and he comes upstairs and he goes, where are the batteries? Uh. <laughs> and I thought, oh no. And I put them, you know, I told him, I was like, they're in the laundry room. And he, I hear him mutter. Yeah. Cause that's where batteries belong. <laughs> in the laundry room, you know? So, but, but you're right. It's about that he has a core belief that he has to have his, his external order to have internal. And, and I can reckon, I can understand that. 
Well, okay. usually it takes it to a different place when you get there versus arguing about it and yeah. fighting about, okay, this may be one of those times where that value of yours about things being out of place is getting stirred up. And you need to know that for me, it's when I, when the batteries are downstairs, what they're just not where I need them to be. And that causes an internal angst for me. And we'll probably keep bumping up against this one. But at least if you understand the deeper level, it's usually not the same kind of, there's some empathy there versus just clashing with each other over right, wrong. Right, right. So I'll tell you another story if you care. This one might help. You might have a good uh, perspective on this. But we have the kids um, open house tonight, PTO, open house, the, the whole thing where you go to the kids' school, meet the teachers, that kind of thing. And I have a very busy day. My husband has a very busy day. And so as he was leaving this morning, he said, I'll be glad to take Stella to CrossFit and I'll clean up the house for your parents and I'll get the the dishes done. And he's telling me all the things that he'll mm-hmm. do at the house. And I'm, I'm sitting there stewing because I said, I would really like to hear one important thing you would do <laughs> instead of this list you will do and he said I'm not going to open house <laughs> <laughs> and I said but that's re- that's the thing that is the thing that I would love for you to offer to do because I can do the home stuff that doesn't stress me out the going to open house and talking to other parents stresses me out and he knows that and so it was funny as he was leaving he said, I'll go to open house for you. Oh, and oh. I thought, oh, that's so great. I appreciate that. And I said, but I'll I'll go. I'll go. And as he left, I thought, this is the most insane, insane thing that just happened because I got what I wanted. And then I said, no, I'll go. And then as he left, I was mad at him because oh. I, <laughs> I felt like he like I manipulated him and then he just is doing it, but he really doesn't want to. And then I'm a bad mother. And, you know, that kind of insanity is oh. what goes on in my head. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I've got a great book for you. This is like the no nonsense sit for a year program. That, <laughs> that is nonsense in your head that is getting you to the point of, you know. Isn't it though? You're so right. You're so right. I follow my own words here. Well, there, I, is a, there is a movie with Jennifer Aniston and I think Vince Vaughn and it's, it, she, you know, it's about doing the dishes and, um, he's, he's doing the, he, he's not doing the dishes and he's like, okay, fine. I'll do the dishes. And she's like, no, it's not about the dishes. She said, I want you to want to do the dishes. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But that's sometimes, and it makes me quite, well, it makes me question my own sanity, first of all, but it makes me question what that's all about. Did I just want him to be a mind reader in the first place? Is that, is it me wanting to control him to know that I controlled him? I won and I'll do the right thing anyway. What is it? (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting what you described because it sounds like he wanted to control the situation first. I mean, he offered you all the many things he was going to do under the conditions that eventually he was going to tell you very clearly, but I'm not doing this. (laughs) And then you had your own style, like, okay, well, you know, maybe all you wanted him to do, you know, maybe you were up to some sort of control in that moment. I don't know, but it, you know, I think, um, recognizing that, okay, yeah, I really, I didn't want to hear the long list of what you would do. I mean, you were pretty clear about that. I don't want to hear the long list because this is the one thing that is most difficult for me. And, but he found his way to avoid that. And you, you know, and then he got you. And right. then in the end, you, you, it was like, 
you weren't able to hold on to that he was sincere. And that would have been the thing to check out. Like, you say you're going. Really? <laughs> and I'm yeah. mean well, because I'm going to hold you to your word. I think you could take care of yourself. And I'm grateful that you're doing it. Right. And so right now at what time is it? One fifteen. I still don't know who's going to open house. Oh, yeah. you know what I mean, I still don't really know. Like, am I going to call him at four 30 and be like, are you on your way home? You know, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I, I know that when I am, cause I'm more the controller and, and take charge of a lot of different things. But I know when I'm afraid of doing something, that's when I want Susan to come in and rescue me. And then I get mad at her. Like, why isn't she initiating and right. take charge of this? And it's really because I'm feeling um, scared about, I don't know if I could do it. And I, I want somebody to save me, basically. Right. But if she's grumpy about it, then it doesn't feel like she's saving me. Right. And then I'm also yes. I'm, I'm a perfectionist about how it's going to be done anyway. So That's I think it. <laughs> I want him to be joyful about saving me and he right. begrudgingly saving me. Exactly. It doesn't feel the same. Darn it. Well, but, and just to be on the other side of that, just. <laughs> When he's you're not talking. here. He's not here. We don't have to take his time. I think she said the same thing Susan, about me. Susan, yeah. <laughs> but the key, you know, what happens when there's this kind of, um, I, you're asking me to do something, but you're not really telling me really clearly why you need it. Like, this is why this is important to me. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that to me does make all the difference in the world. It's if I like, was vulnerable and said, you know, I don't think I can do it or I'm intimidated about doing it. So I want you to do it instead. I might still, I might, I'd be more interested in that. Mm -hmm. And I might say, yes, I, I don't, you need to know I'm, I don't really want to go, but I get it may be more difficult for you than me or whatever it is. Yeah. So, but it's a whole different conversation then when I actually understand instead of what I can feel like as I'm being manipulated into going mm -hmm. and that never feels good. Or blame because you're not willing to go. Oh yeah. <laughs> blame because I'm not, you know, I'm not the person who would take care of her. Yeah. And it's like, oh my, then I get mad and then we have a fight. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny because if I really told him all the reasons, like, you know, my parents are coming tomorrow and I want my house perfect because although my parents would never say they expect my house to be perfect, my mom's house is perfect and I grew up in a house and it was always perfect. It needs to be perfect. And like if I told him that that's what my head is saying right now, even though it's nonsense, Susan, <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, he would probably have said no problem. He has it. compassion. He gets it yeah, then. He, yeah. He knows. Well, he also yeah. knows that when I roll in the door at nine o'clock tonight and none of that is done, then, then he'll, he'll have that to deal with. Exactly. Right. Well, he and I are both, I don't know if you know about the Enneagram, but we're number eights, both oh. of us. So, which is like the controlling, <laughs> like neurotic numbers on the, on the Enneagram. So like both of us are, we're both very power hungry. <laughs> Well, you just need to have areas of focus so you control different things. Right, right. <laughs> and then talk about it when it comes up. Just own it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Communication, you're on to something here. You're on to something. <laughs> All so. right. What do you do with really big life stresses? I mean, that kind of like real big sickness in the family or even kids. I mean, dynamics change the second you bring a child into the world. I don't care what anyone says and everyone is lying about children. It changes everything. <laughs> um, but what is kind of the advice that, that you give your clients and, and people that you talk to about how to handle the really big stuff that can just destroy communication and, and love even or romance rather? 
Well, I think a lot of times we have a lot of feelings about what's happening and a lot of stories about what's happening and missed expectations and really being willing to actually share, gosh, I'm having a really hard time. Because anytime you have a baby, you do, you have a, a gift and then you also have a loss of singlehood. So you need to actually acknowledge both. But we kind of jump right over that and think, I should feel good that I have this baby. And really... <laughs> We, you did lose something. And so stopping to acknowledge and, and digest that, even if it's for small little bits, is incredibly powerful. And catching up with yourself by feeling your feelings, not pretending that you feel a certain way, but really sinking in and allowing yourself to feel and sharing that with a partner. We, we believe that a lot of times what's missing for couples is really taking time, yes, time to talk about things, but also sometimes to breathe, to just be together, to sink in, to be, to try other things that are not just verbal, mental constructs to communicate and stage your life, but to find other ways to really uh, explore, be curious and connect to each other that work for each of you. So, I mean, so I've gone process painting with Chris Marie. I am not an artist. I don't even like to paint, but I went because it, painting means so much to her. And it was just something we did. We each had our own easel in this workshop. And it was such a cool thing to do together that was wordless. Or, you know, I've taken her bike riding. It's not quite as much fun for her, but she's gone, you know, and, you know, but to explore things and even dancing, something that gets you more and breathing, gets you more in your body, but have it be more playful and fun and and talk about it then, you know, it's a way to take you out of just these big mon monumental decisions, but bring you back to more resources than just your head. I mean, we were, we're going through our book launch, which is, you know, is can be quite stressful <laughs> and, you know, we're watching the numbers on Amazon, oh, all these whatever, different things. Yeah. And, and finally we just said, Oh my gosh, we just gotta, we just gotta, gotta get stop. out of here. You can't yeah. <laughs> And we actually literally just took off. We dropped the dogs off because we don't have kids, but we had dogs that dropped them off. And we went to some place and it was just actually getting out of our routine. And because it felt like I was in a ripple tank, like back and forth, you know, the energy building and it wasn't going anywhere except between us two. <laughs> and just changing our routine. And then we took, we took these long drives. We saw state parks. We were just looking. We just stopped on the side of the road. We never do that. We never take that time. So it could be something simple, but just breaking your routine, especially when you're so busy and it becomes like your relationships, like a transactional piece. Like we got to get the kids. You take this one. I take that one. We've got to go to work. And there's no space just for you two, because when you reconnect to more of that spontaneous adventure piece, you can usually connect to why you fell in love with this person. And right. There's an us besides all this chaos that's yeah. going on. Yeah. And one of the, I'm just, I'm just full of stories. I hope you don't mind today. My poor husband, he doesn't listen to my podcast, so it's fine. Um, but when we, when our firstborn was probably a month old, my husband used to sleep, sleep buck naked. And when he was, a, our kid was a month old, I was up in the middle of the night with this kid do he was screaming nothing could, you know, couldn't be consoled a big problem. Here comes my husband buck naked trying to help. And I was like, if you think you're going to be helpful, buck naked, <laughs> you've got another thing coming. Put some clothes on. Put some clothes on your body. And he was like, geez, okay, I'm sorry. And then he started sleeping with, like, little shorts. And I thought, oh, that was, like, a terrible way to manage conflict. But, like, in that moment, everything had shifted having the kid. Like, it was – I never paid any attention to the fact he didn't – 
sleep with clothes on. But suddenly that was like the really big problem in the room, just projecting my, you know, I'm a new mom. I don't know how to handle this. And so I guess it depends on the couple, but you know, he was resilient about it. He's like, whatever. But those moments of conflict can be really damaging when you handle them poorly. So (laughs) kind of how do you get out of the things that were, weren't really a big deal, but they're handled so poorly. How do you recover from that? Like forgiveness, moving on and learning to kind of do better next time. You know, I know for, well, there's a couple of things because rules can start develop like, okay, now I have to wear shorts, you know, for your husband, or this happens between Susan and I, I get upset about something. And so she's like, okay, I'm never going to do that. (laughs) But you never really talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) So it's actually being willing to talk and, um, how this was because a lot of times one I was just venting it wasn't like a forever experience and so but if I don't know the impact it had and I'll you know Susan's starting to do this you know okay I'm trying to think of a concrete example but if she then started always wearing shorts (laughs) 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 to actually uh, be curious about it and debrief those things like especially if you're thinking hey did this did this have an impact and I'm not aware of it to bring it up and, and talk about it. We have a, the way we've handled that. Cause I think that is true. Sometimes I'll make up rules because of some reaction she had and I don't, but we will every once in a while have a, what we do around the five, five, five might be what rules have you made up in this relationship? And so we'll just explore it or, you know, again, even that what's working, what's not is a way to come back. What are the things I haven't spoken any, you know, and do it in a simple way, like on a regular check-in basis, like, you know, monthly, monthly or something versus most people don't do that. Most, most couples like in business, pe- businesses will have meetings to make sure they're running well. And sometimes they're not as good at strategic meetings, but that once they start having them, it makes all the difference in the world. It's, and you kind of have to apply the same thing to a relationship. Are you having enough real contact and time to talk to each other to make sure that the little things don't just, you know, dissolve? Or the right. big, big blowups aren't digested. Yeah. To actually take some time to talk about what's working and what's not. And how was it for you back when I did blow up or, you know? Yeah. To come yeah. back to those things. Because we have worked with couples where something that happened, there's one example 30 years ago, uh, it, it was a misunderstanding and it almost destroyed their relationship until they were willing to go back and deal with it. So those little things, and, and it was really quite, a. well, she had just had a baby and they were having, um, you know, it was, it was around sex, whether they were going to have sex and the way he looked at her, she was just horrified. And they, he was like, no, no, you know, we're not having sex. And so she took it personally. This literally started to, they started to sleep in different bedrooms. They became less, they came more and more estranged. We were working with them and we said, you know, can you tell us what happened? And she said, you know, he just thought I was so disgusting. He didn't want to have sex with me. And he was, he was a doctor and he was like, oh my gosh, honey, you had just had an episiotomy. I was terrified. I was going to hurt you. So very different. And this was, 30 years later, and they had become so brittle because they had never really checked it out. What did you mean by that? And that's one of the tools we talk about in the book is how can you check out your stories that you're making up about your partner? Because we're always making up stories about our partners. And I, you know, we tend to think we know them. And so we're right. But if you don't actually have the conversation, 
you really can go off in a in a negative direction and create a big wedge between you and your partner. Right. So. My husband just likes to make me crazy with the stuff in the basement. That's <laughs> the story. End of story. The yeah. end. You know, so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And that's what happens. Our girlfriends tend to agree with us. And so they don't actually say, have you actually asked that's or right. have you checked out that story? That's you know. Well, and it's funny about the shorts because now we have teenagers. We have a teenage, almost, well, she's a preteen daughter. And I'm like, oh, you need to be wearing shorts anyway. It's fine. <laughs> we won't revisit that one. It's already done. Right. <laughs> As I like to control you. The end. <laughs> Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about your podcast and your upcoming course, Relationship Mojo. So what? let's th- talk about the podcast. Yeah. So we have a podcast, The Beauty of Conflict. Our things are pretty easy to remember. We have The Beauty of Conflict for Couples, which is a book, A Beauty of Conflict for Teams. It's a business book. And our podcast, The Beauty of Conflict, is really about how to deal with conflict at home or at work or everywhere else in your life. So we have different, and we're going to have you on our podcast, actually. Yes. A little bit down. I'm just going to talk about more about my problems in my marriage. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and we have a program. We do Couples Mojo, which is a in person program here in Montana, and that's in 2020. We also have Relationship Mojo, which is uh, if you want to work on your relationship and your partner's not interested, and it's an eight week program that starts in 2019. It's in October 23rd. And it's really how to work on, because we talk about the me, which is how are you actually, all the things that we were talking about in the beginning, Meredith, how to bring your voice forward, how to deal with your anger, are you doing what you want, how to set boundaries and take care of yourself. And then we talk about we, which is all those relationship tools that we talk about. And these are also in the book. We'll use the book as kind of a, you know, a little guide. And then how to talk about those big, important topics that everybody's scared to talk about or avoids like sex, money. Um, hygiene, you know, whatever is uncomfortable. Hygiene, oh my. Yeah. <laughs> Things you're going. Dank. <laughs> yeah. Go take a shower. <laughs> so, um, and you can do so much to improve your relationship just by working on yourself. Because if you shift, all of a sudden your partner's going to be like, wow, okay, what's going on over there? Because it, it, we have a system, our relationship's a system. So if one part shifts, it really impacts the other. So some of the things we have. Yes. So what do you both do in your 24 hours? What is one thing that you can kind of point to that you do on a daily basis that, that really is a big contributor to your kind of greatest version of yourself? What's like one practice or habit that you've, you've adopted? Probably the, this is Susan, I'll go first. Cause for me, the biggest thing I've learned is that if I take the time to really lay down and breathe, and this isn't like meditation, this is like big, full breaths, really breathing, feeling deeply for eight to 10 minutes every day. I am a totally different person mm-hmm. and it really works well for me. So. Awesome. And I am a big uh, proponent of the artist way. So, and I drugs. Yes, me too. <laughs> yeah. Me too. So every morning I do my morning pages and then we debrief with a five, five, five. And that's very grounding for me and uh, really helps me kind of clear out the cobwebs and process through what's going on for me. Yeah. The morning pages is, I think, Chris and Marie, since we both obviously have anger issues, (laughs) I I think that I had started doing that probably a year ago and it's, it's a lifesaver. I just wake up, do that brain dump and life is better. Yeah. Yes. I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you both so much. This was a ton of fun. I appreciate it. 
Can I just say that our yeah. Beauty of Conflict for Couples is available on Amazon.com. And we're just... Oh, yes. I was going to tell them that. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. I was going to record that in the intro. But oh, yes, okay. the Beauty okay. of right. Conflict on Amazon. <laughs> and thank you both so much. Thank you. Yes, Meredith. thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.